is called Dealing with Your Stuff. And last week we looked at dealing with sin, guilt, and shame. And by the way, these sermons are always available online. You can either watch the video of the service or you can just listen to the audio recording on Podbean. And there's a whole page for that. Today, dealing with your false image or incomplete image. I kind of added to that as I prepared this. Next time, dealing with your broken image of you. And then dealing with fear, with grief, with pain and suffering as we get further into the month of May. Dealing with your false or incomplete image of God. So I want to begin with with this question. How do you picture God? Do you? Is Is there something in your mind's eye that says, kind of visualizes or, you know, I'm praying and this is who or what is hearing me as I pray. Sometimes people will have an image of an old man with a big beard sitting in the clouds on a shiny throne. Mm -hmm. And there's God. (laughs) You know know where that came from? Now, to be fair... There are hints in Scripture about the throne of God, okay? So, so it, it's some of that, but then I think what happened, because, because the Bible was written in, especially the New Testament, a, a, a Greek culture, Greek mythology entered into it. If you know anything about Greek mythology, who's the most powerful God? Zeus. Zeus. What does Zeus do? Sits up there on the cloud. He's old, he's got a beard, he's big, and he's got a bucket of lightning bolts ready to go. He's got this stern look on his face, watching all the people on the earth. Oh, I got one! Is that your image of God? And we we can chuckle about that. But here's the question. When When you think about God, is your first instinct love or fear? Am I, am, I, am I embracing this God in love or am I afraid? Am I being really watchful in the sense of I better not do anything wrong or I'm going to get it? I'm going to get zapped that something bad's going to happen because this God is ready to do that. That's how, and, and, and this is just one of the false images of God that we can have. Now, now Scripture does talk about the throne of God, but it's, it's really, it's imagery for a world in which the Bible was written where every person lived in some form or another under a kingdom, a monarchy, especially when you get further back into the Old Testament where Every town had a king. They were city-states. And as the centuries went on and these 
these towns grew and the ones nearby, when they stopped battling with them, they would make alliances with them, and eventually there would be a king over two towns or three towns or a larger area of many towns. And eventually there was empires like the Egyptians or like the Babylonians, and then eventually the Romans, we find in the New Testament, the Greeks were in charge for a long time, the Persians. So you had these empires, but all of them still had a king or a Caesar in the case of Rome. And so the throne was the the representation of the authority that you lived under if you lived in those days. The throne of the king. So it makes sense that when you want to express the authority of God, you talk about God as the ultimate and most powerful authority on a throne. But we shouldn't make that too literal because that's where Zeus comes in. Yeah, throne, God, heaven, clouds, boom, there. We kind of make those connections. But understand this. For example, in Psalms it says, heaven is his throne. The earth is his footstool. See, it gets a whole lot bigger than some little cloud up there. Okay? So so we have to to stretch our, our minds, our images, our understandings, and ask ourselves some real clear questions and some hard questions, and I'm, I'm going to tell you ahead of time, that we're, we're heading into some deep waters today, but I, I hope that prayerfully you'll come out of this with a clearer image of God in, 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 your, in your mind's eye, in your heart, because, and that's why I, I switched this around. I was originally going to do this sermon next week, and today was going to be how you see yourself, but I realized pretty quickly, wait a minute, we have to get God right before we get ourselves right. Okay, we have to understand God better, then we can see ourselves better. It's sort of like he loved us. He initiated this opportunity to have a relationship with him. So who is it the one, who is the one that initiated? And so let's understand him as best we can, then come back to ourselves and see if there's some, some correction, some understanding that needs to be made there. So how do we picture God? I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 13. And in this passage, Jesus just told the story of the sower and the seed. Are you familiar with that, with that parable? And we're not going to go in detail of the parable, but you may remember. It's the basic idea that even if you're not a farmer or a gardener, you understand this. When you throw seeds onto soil, depending upon the condition of the soil, you will have either a good crop or a bad crop or no crop at all. All right, so there's, there's fertile soil, there's rocky soil, there's a hard path, there, there's soil that's already invaded with, with, with weeds and other growth. So according to the soil that the seed goes into will affect its growth. And Jesus then explains this parable as talking about hearing God and seeing God. And listen to what he says here in the 16th verse. Again, this is following the the parable of the sower and the seed, and he says this, but blessed are your eyes because they see. Blessed are your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Now hold on to that. Jesus is telling his disciples and us, that something huge in the connection between heaven and earth and the connection between God and mankind is about to happen in Christ. 
that the people of old that we see in our Old Testament that the disciples he's speaking with that walk with him every day learn from childhood about people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David and the kings and the prophets. They learned about these people and all of those people, great as the faith of many of them was and and is to be revered, they were all missing something. They couldn't see or hear as clearly as the disciples were going to be able to and as you and I can. So, so hang on to that as, as we look at some examples of how some of these people from the Old Testament, what, what was their experience of God? What was God like to them? What was God like to Adam, for example? Okay, so the, the obvious one is God is the creator. So what does God do? God creates. Now, as I, as I talk about these, they are not incorrect, okay? They are incomplete, right? and we'll see that in a moment. So God creates. God then curses. God created this beautiful garden to live in. God created Eve, and, and they would have companionship together and the opportunity to live indefinitely in this wonderful paradise. And yet sin came in, and because sin came in, a curse followed. That curse didn't just follow them, it followed humanity ever since. So, so with Adam, God is the one who creates, that's good news. God is the one who curses, and that's bad news, and it's my fault. Okay? That is Adam, and it's all of our faults in the sense of taking ownership and responsibility for our own sins, our own failures. And so to Adam, God creates and curses. To Noah, God punishes and protects. So the world got really bad, so horrible that God wanted to wipe everyone out and start over. But he found one righteous man, Noah, and said, I'm going to rescue you and your family. Build me a huge boat. We're going to bring some animals along so they survive too. And we know the story of the flood. So what does God do with Noah? How does God see Noah, excuse me? Now, how does Noah see God? He punishes because of sin, but he protects those who are righteous. So that was Noah's basic operational understanding of God. How about Abraham? Promises. God made Abraham promises. Go and I will show you a land. Go and I will promise to make you a great nation. And, and you will be blessed. And your, and your ancestors, your children's and children's children's children will be blessed. And all nations will be blessed through you, Abraham. And so he had this great promise that he lived to, 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 to realize. And yet what happened with Abraham... If he's going to become a great nation, he has to have somebody to succeed him. He didn't have any children. And it was very old age between him and his wife, Sarah, until finally Isaac came to them, was born to them. So there was this promise that took a long time to fulfill. But for Abraham, his understanding of God was, God promised me something, and I'm going to wait for this promise. I'm going to do what I can to honor him in the meantime but I'm going to wait for his promise to be fulfilled. How about Moses? Moses to, to Moses, God liberates and God establishes law. Moses was called to go into um, Egypt where 
the people of Jacob, the people of Israel, that was one of Jacob's names, the name God gave him, which became the name, my voice today, the name of the nation, Israel. But um, so when he got there, he said, okay, I want you to release the people. I want you to go to Pharaoh and demand that they are released. So God liberates. And when they were released and he took them to the Mount Sinai, God gave them law. So to Moses, Moses' life, and the way Moses understood God and approached God was God liberates. We always have to remember that, those miracles that made this happen. And God brings law. God brings order. God brings structure to this new nation that we are developing. That was Moses' main thing. He understood God in other ways too, but those were his main ways. I, I, I skipped Jacob. Jacob. For Jacob, it was God blesses. God blesses. Jacob was blessed with a huge family, so many sons. And, but Jacob was also a deceiver. And if you know the story of Jacob, he, he conjoled, he tricked, he deceived, and then he got deceived himself a few times. But eventually it all caught up with him. 20 years after he ran away from his own twin brother Esau, he found out that Esau was coming to get after him and he was going to lose everything. All these blessings of these flocks and herds, and most importantly, his wives and his children were going to be taken from him. So he went to sleep, had a strange dream, as he had a pillow for a rock. I think I'd have a weird dream if I had a pillow for a rock for a pillow, too. You know, but um, so he had a dream that he wrestled with God, and God told him that uh, at the end, as he wrestled for the blessing, you're going to keep blessing me, God. And he did. So in other words, Jacob's understanding of what God does was bless. Okay, so that's true. But there was some things missing there too. Joshua and the judges, a time of war, a very violent time in the world. Joshua was given the responsibility of taking control of the land that was promised to Moses and the, and, the, and the people, and he did so. And following Joshua, as the land was already settled, there were still battles at the border all the time. And there were judges who God would raise up. They were called judges, but they were really leaders. They weren't kings, but they were leaders, military leaders. Leaders like Gideon, leaders like Samson. And so what was their understanding of what God does... Well, God is my commanding officer because we've got battles to fight. We've got battles to take on. How about David? We can say a lot about David, but I'll boil it down to this. God is to be praised, wrote so many of the Psalms, beautiful descriptions about, about God and, and praises to God. And also God forgives. And David had the the scandalous sin with Bathsheba and the cover-up from it to even put Bathsheba's husband to death to cover his tracks when she became pregnant. And eventually that all came to a head when the prophet Nathan was sent to David to confront him about all of the scandal and sin. And in spite of all of that, he was forgiven. So David understood the depth of forgiveness Kings after David for just only Solomon for one nation, after Solomon two nations, Judah and Israel for the rest of their history in the Old Testament. There were some good kings in there, a few of them, not many. Most were bad. Most 
took the people in the wrong direction, and it was largely because they saw God, now hear this, they saw God as a power broker. They were the king. And from a human standpoint, from an earthly standpoint, what does every king want? To stay in power. So God will make sure that I stay in power. And if things aren't going the way I think they should be, and, well, then maybe I need a new God. And that's what they did. They would turn to the neighboring gods like Baal, and they would do all kinds of practices against the law of Moses, denying the one true God. And so they just saw God as a power broker. As long as God keeps me in control, then God's good. Oh, praise God. But when things aren't going well in my nation and my, my throne's in trouble, oh, i got to find another God. I'm going to ditch this one. And they did that again and again. And then the prophets. God warns and God follows up on the warnings. And, and they would warn the nation Judah. They would warn the nation Israel. They would warn the neighboring nations. Like Jonah, for example. Jonah had to go, Jonah had to, go to Nineveh in, in, in a larger kingdom called Assyria. Nineveh was sort of the capital of Assyria, and it was this big, massive empire that eventually wiped out the whole northern kingdom, Israel. But Jonah didn't want to go there, and we know that story. But God warns, and then God follows up. In other words, the prophets would warn and say, the direction that you're going is not good. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt one another. Turn. Turn back to God. Before it's too late. Sometimes they did. Quite often they didn't. And that's eventually why both the nation Judah and Israel were taken captive by the time you get to the end of your Old Testament. Now these are not all of the ways that people at that time saw and understood God. But I just wanted to give you a few tastes of this. All right. So so I, I hope you're still with me here. People need a more complete, more fulfilled image of God than just... Now, I'm not saying God isn't these things, okay? This is important. God is the one who creates. God is the one who curses and punishes and protects and promises and blesses and liberates and establishes law. God is our commander. God is to be praised. God forgives. God can be a power broker, and God warns and God follows up. All of that is true, but if that is the only way or the limited way that we see God under. And, and, and revere God or understand God, then it's not complete. Back to Matthew 13. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Because everything's going to get changed. Everything's going to get fulfilled very soon. And how did that happen? Jesus Christ is the completely fulfilled image of God in human form. The prophets of old, the patriarchs of old, the kings, they, they longed for the day where it would be fulfilled. The way they, they talked, some of those prophets, you know, through God's power, would, would prophesy about the coming Messiah. But they didn't see him in their time. And all that the Messiah means, not just, not just that he was born and he showed up, but what would he establish? Colossians chapter 3. 
There's a lot of depth in this. Listen to what the image of God in Christ is. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in, in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the fulfilled image of God in human form, Jesus. That's why Jesus said to the disciples, If you want to know God, look at me. How can we know God? Let's go to John chapter 14. I'm going to look at two passages within the same context of John 14. First of all, verses 6 through 9. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now let me pause there. That's a very familiar verse to many of you. It's a common description of the gospel message. The way to God is through Jesus. Let's read on. Verse 7. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after you have been with me such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Now, you have to try to, try to grasp the depth of what Jesus is saying there. People throughout history, certainly the people of Israel, who were unique among most cultures that they believed in just one God, and, and this God came to them through the prophets and through the patriarchs, and it was passed down to them. They had law to live by. But now in Jesus, if you really want to know what this God is all about, you look at Jesus. Not just as one more way to get to God, but as the way, the fulfilled way that Adam and Noah and Abraham and Jacob and Moses and David and everyone else in the Old Testament didn't have because it was not yet fulfilled and complete. But in Jesus, if you want to know what God is like, watch Jesus. If you want to know how God thinks, listen to Jesus. If you want to know what's important to God, watch Jesus. He is the embodiment of everything that that God wants to establish in and through our lives. And a few verses down then in John 14. So how does this happen? How how does this this way to God through Jesus take place? Beginning at the 15th verse. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you an advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him. 
because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So this is the promised Holy Spirit that would come to them on the day of Pentecost a few weeks later. By the way, Jesus is saying this right before he went to the cross and, of course, died and then rose again, appeared with them a few times, like we've looked at in the last few weeks, but eventually ascended to heaven, and then a little while after that sent the Holy Spirit to live in them, to remind them of what? Of who Jesus is, of what Jesus said, of what Jesus did, of how Jesus thought. That's why he had to go away so this shared Jesus could be shared by everybody who believes. This is such an important thing that happened because it gives us a completed image of God. Not just the hints and the pieces that we see in the Old Testament. The fulfilled image of God in Jesus. So how does Jesus see God? I talked about Adam and Moses and David and the others, how they saw God. Well, how did Jesus see God? As loving Father. You've often heard the phrase. You're very familiar with it. Even people who don't believe in God or in Jesus or in the Bible have heard the phrase, God is love. That's it. But how does God love us? He loves us like a loving father. When you bring those two truths together, this is the image of God given to us in Jesus. That God is like your best, the best father you could ever imagine. Whether your father was was wonderful example to you and, and you love and revered him deeply and you can kind of picture him, well, God's even better than that. If your father was absent or your, your, your father was distant or your father was abusive, then it's harder for you to grasp that. So it's a father that you always wanted, always desired. But God as loving father is the way that we should understand God. And here's why that's important. If your primary image of God is anything less than a loving father, you will filter his love, that phrase God is love, through your incomplete lens. So rather than saying God is, God is love, and I know that because he's a loving father, you might say, well, God is love, but that love comes from creation. Because God is the creator. And that sounds kind of nice, but doesn't that sound kind of distant? Like the creation, that's the whole world, that's all people in history, that's, that's this solar system, that's this galaxy, that's this universe, and that's really awesome and wonderful that God made that, but boy, I feel lost in all of that massiveness. I'm loved here along with everything, everyone else, and it, it doesn't feel personal that way if your main image of God is just creator or primarily creator. Or if your image of God is primarily God curses. There are some people that feel like they're cursed. There are some people that feel like life never goes their way. 
God is just getting me. God is after me. And even if they see that as their own fault, they're not blaming God for it, but life is just one curse after another, one bad thing after another. Well, maybe you need to to get your lens turned around. As I'm looking at these, think of it like binoculars. Remember the first time you used binoculars when you were a kid? Wasn't that awesome? You put those on and you can see across the yard and everything gets really big and it feels like it's right in front of you that is so neat. And you flip them around. Oh, that's kind of cool too. Look how far away it gets. Okay? So your faith is the fact that you're using binoculars, that you have a lens of God and it's true, but you're not getting the full and complete picture if you're seeing God as other than or less than your loving Father first and foremost. Maybe it's that God is a punisher and I'm being punished, similar to what I said about, you know, cursed. Um, God protects. Okay, so God expresses his love to me and to us through protection. So as long as I am protected, that's proof that God loves me. But what about when the bad things happen? And and it wasn't your fault, it just sort of happened to you. Does God's love stop now? See, this is where these images of God, these ways of viewing God, become incomplete and become problematic. Because if he's the protector, but you don't feel protected anymore, well, what about promises? I'm going to claim all the promises in Scripture, and if I believe, and I believe passionately, and I follow the principles, then guaranteed 100% God's going to give me all those promises, and you know what? That doesn't work. I'm serious. You know, there, there, you can read through the Psalms, and there's these general statements about how God will protect you, He won't let your foot strike on, you know, on a snare, and you won't fall down. And those are generally true when you do good things, better things happen. When you go in the right path, life seems to go better, does go better. But it's not like nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. And when it still happens, even though you're claiming the promise and not being fulfilled, well, then I guess God doesn't love me anymore because I'm not seeing the fulfilled promise in me the way I define God and promises. Same thing with blessing. As long as I'm being blessed, things are going my way. God must love me. But now the blessings aren't happening. And I'm, again, still seem like I'm doing things right. I'm praying every day. I'm going to church on Sunday. I'm reading the word. I'm telling people about how much God loves them. But I don't feel very loved right now, God, because your primary objective, understanding of God is God blesses. Now, again, it's not that God doesn't bless. He does. It's not that God doesn't protect. He does. But let's flip this around and see it through the lens of a loving father. A loving father protects us as best he can. A a, a loving father um, is responsible for us being here biologically. A, a, A loving father will will bless us with with provision each day and and, and with love. A loving father um, does all of these things and and we understand that we live in a broken and unsafe world and sometimes things will happen. All of us as parents, if if you're like me and you have grown children, you you look back over the years and those moments where your kids got hurt somehow through some kind of of an accident or 
um, they got sick and maybe you thought, oh, I wish I had done something differently. And you, you kind of kick yourself about that, but you get through it as best you can, you know, trying to, to be a, a loving mother, a loving father. But we're not perfect at that either. And so, so this is how we need to see God in the sense of, is like I said to the kids last week and this week, the number one thing we need to remember about how we see God is that we're loved. And the best way to connect with that love is relationally through a loving father, to understand it as a loving father. Um, and, and, and God talks about being our friend, too. So a father is really a huge obstacle for you. And I understand that it really is. It's not for me. So, so I, I'm careful to say that. So, so you can look at God as a friend as well, but it has to be a, a, a relational connection with love. Not love like it's some sort of concept floating around there in space and shows up once in a while in your life somehow from the creator way out there somewhere. No, he came into this world and he showed us the way through Jesus and he said, our Father in heaven in prayer. And that is our primary connector and understanding with God. And, and, and again, you could plug others in here. God is my healer. And if that's your primary focus, great. You're always you're being healed. You never get sick. And what about when you do? Does God stop loving you? But when God is your loving father, and especially, and here's the best image of father, okay, scripturally, the prodigal son story. When the rebellious younger son went away, was there ever a moment that his father stopped loving him? Nope. He ran away, embarrassed the family, um, disrespected his father, his community. The depth of that story is fantastic. And yet, what was that father doing? Waiting for him to return. Waiting for him to return. The son had to turn. The son had to repent. The son had to say, enough of this. I have to go back to my loving father. But the father wasn't waiting around there with his arms crossed. Okay, here he comes. <laughs> Let's hear his story. Uh, we'll see if I let him live in the shack. No! He embraced him. He threw a party for him. Why? Because the father's love never stopped for that son. And the father's love never stopped for the arrogant older brother who was very self-righteous in that story. He loved them both. Unconditionally and without Without a break, <laughs> without a moment, the love was always there. That's what the loving Father God does for us. So listen to these last two verses to get the depth of, of what I'm speaking about that I hope it was helpful to you today to see God first and foremost as our loving Father. 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. That is what you are. You are God's child, first and foremost. You can call yourself a servant of God, and that's good, but you're not a servant first. You are his child. The son in the prodigal son story wanted to be a servant. God, and his father said, I'll have none of that. You are my child. 
But, but Father, I've broken your commands. I've done all kinds of stupid things. I don't deserve this. I know you don't deserve this, but I still love you. You are still my child. That's the kind of love he's lavished on us. That is what you are. You are his child, and nothing stops that. Nothing separates you from the love of God, we read in Romans. Nothing. You can choose to reject it. You can choose to walk away from it. You can choose to not believe it. It's still there for you. And then lastly, and this is a beautiful verse. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. And by the way, that's kind of a hint at whether it's one of the ones I mentioned or other, other incomplete images or even false images of God we can have. If, if you basically approach God from a place of fear, then this, you can prayerfully ask God to help you change that. Ask him to help you see him first and foremost as your loving father so that you, you, know, you don't have to live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. And if you're familiar with that word, Abba, that is the Greek word for daddy. It is the most intimate expression of fatherhood from a child to their parent. Daddy. Do you ever call God Daddy? It feels kind of disrespectful, doesn't it? It might. I don't know. In me, it does. It's like, wait, God is big out there. And so what's happening there? When I resist that, I'm thinking, okay, my image of God as being this really powerful king that I have to at least be respectful of, or maybe even kind of cower a little bit before, I have to be more careful in my prayer. No. Right here. If the Spirit of God itself in you is okay with calling God Daddy, then you should be too. And I mean that. And especially if you are having trouble with with the father image of God in your, in your heart and your life. Daddy in, in the most respectful and loving sense of that word. Think about your son, your daughter, when they were first able to say mommy or daddy. How special was that moment? I bet you remember where you were in the, when they said it, right? <laughs> wow, the first time they said daddy, first time they said mommy. That's what you can, that, that's your relationship with God in Christ is he's your daddy. Pray to him. Let's pray together. Father, I pray. Father God, our daddy, you love us that deeply. Help us to embrace you and to, to, to fall into your arms to know that we are loved always. And to understand all of your ways as best we can and all the powerful and awesome attributes that are, that are due to you, Lord God. And yet, we come to you as a child to daddy. Helps to embrace that image and let it change us. In Jesus' name, amen.